For scripture reading this morning, I will be reading Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Two Sundays ago, November 3rd, 2013, 10,000 men, women, and children were forced together into a large stadium in the port city of Wonsan in North Korea. Eight prisoners were brought out. They were tied to posts and bags were put over their heads. And in front of all these people, they were shot by machine gun fire until their bodies were hardly even recognizable. Then their families were hauled off to prison and labor camps. What was their crime? These eight people, along with at least 70 others in seven other cities in North Korea, were publicly executed for, among other things, possessing a Bible. Why? Why? The regime in North Korea understands something about this book. They understand that this book is powerful, that this book is important. They understand that this book threatens their very existence. It threatens their ability to control their people. 
And so it is illegal to own or read this book. It is punishable by death or life in prison. I wonder. I wonder how important, how powerful do you think this book is? I wonder, would I, would you, be willing to be one of those eight? Now, we have pretty easy access to this book. Last night, I downloaded six English translations of the Bible to my smartphone in a few minutes for free. We meet here this morning in relative freedom. We meet here to proclaim and hear the Word of God, to read and study it. We carry our Bibles on our person, in our cars. And to this point, we do not face the same kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters in North Korea face. But if our text today from 2 Timothy chapter 3 is true, the day is coming when we might, when we will. That is, if we really value this book, if we really believe this book, if we really obey this book. I would invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The context for our text today is the last days. It's an extended, chapter 3 is an extended description of the last days. <clears throat> days of difficulty, days of evil, days of false teachers, days of suffering and persecution for those who do not go along with the spirit of this world. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Understand this, know this, be aware of this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. And he goes on to describe what people will be like, what things will happen. We will begin reading then at verse 12 of chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Today we are concluding our most important things sermon series. We have looked at the most important message, the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have considered the most important person, the person of God, God himself. And we have been reminded of the most important activity, that of the worship of God. Today, we look at the most important book that makes all of these important things available and accessible to us. We would not know the gospel. We would not know who God is. We would not know what it means to love and serve and worship Him apart from this book. Now notice the text. And notice the bookends to this text that we just read. Persecution on the one end as a result of, of a godly life and enduring suffering on the other end as a part of our ministry and work in the gospel. And in, on the shelf, in between these two bookends, we have a description of and a command to use the most important book the world has ever known. In fact, this book, this book will not only cause us to face persecution and suffering as it currently does our brothers and sisters in North Korea and other places around the world, but this book will also enable and equip us to endure suffering and persecution. Not only will it bring suffering and persecution, it will equip us to endure it. But not only that, it will also protect us from false teaching deception, and evil. There is no other book in the world that even comes close to this book in terms of its power, its authority, its wisdom. Every other book, even religious books with violent instructions are tolerated or even celebrated in our world. But this one is outlawed. This one is despised because the powers that be know that this is no ordinary book. On the other hand, our world is full of books. Books which offer advice for living. Books which offer advice for living your best life now. Books which propose to solve your problems. The problems of your finances, the problems of your marriage, the problems of your soul. Books, thousands of books. Books which offer you success and pleasure if only you will follow their instructions. 
you have a problem, you think you have a problem, there's a book for that. As the author of Ecclesiastes, the wise preacher said a couple thousands of years ago, of the making of books, there is no end. And in no time in history has that been more true than now. Our world today is full of many voices competing for our attention and promising to provide the solution to our problems. And most of these voices proclaim themselves as the expert. They publish a torrent of articles and blogs and books. But there is one book that is different from the rest. There is one book that completely fulfills its promises. There is one book that will provide everything we need for life and godliness. That will provide everything we need to be competent men and women of God. It is this book, the Word of God, that we must read and preach and teach and live by if we are going to be successful productive, useful men and women of God. There is one book that we must read, that we must meditate on, if we will survive in this evil, increasingly evil age. But get this. This book doesn't promise happiness. This book doesn't promise wealth. This book doesn't promise a better marriage. This book promises persecution, suffering. But this book does promise joy. Joy in the midst of suffering. Joy in the midst of hardship. Joy in the midst of broken relationships. This, my friends, is a different kind of book. And indeed, we are living in the last days that 2 Timothy 3 and 4 are all, are all about. Evil people and imposters are going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see this all around us. So what are we to do in the face of this? What are men and women, children of God, to do in the face of this evil day? Well, we do just what the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy to do. He says, continue, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed from this old book, from this important book. You see, our temptation is to seek an easier way. Our human tendency is to always seek out something better, something new to go with the flow, to enjoy and get caught up in the popular trends of the day. Always looking for that next great thing, that next great idea that will change our life and make us successful and happy. If you do that, if you seek after that, you will be forever frustrated. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The real solution is to be found in this old book, in these old ideas, as old as God himself. 
The real solution is not to be found in some new fad or some new idea, but in the timeless truth of the Word of God. Continue in these things. Persist. Hold to it firmly. Value it. Teach it. Preach it. Value the people who taught it to you. Value it enough to pass it down to the next generation. Value it enough to teach it to others. And value it enough to be willing to give up your comfort, your worldly success, and even your life for it. This text also tells us why this book is so important. Why are people willing to die for this? First of all, it says this book, these writings, this book that we call the Bible, makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We are utterly dependent on the Word of God for the knowledge and wisdom that is necessary for salvation. We would not know the important message of the gospel were it not for the Word of God. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to actually bring about our salvation, our new birth. The miracle of new birth, God does by the Word. For example, in 1 Peter, as Brother James looked at last Sunday, 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. New birth is worked by God through His Word. This means that the life we need comes from the Word. No Word, no life. No life, no worship. And not only that, but the constant reawakening of faith, day after day, Sunday after Sunday, this constant reawakening of faith that we need, that we rely on, comes by hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Not just the first time, every time. This is how it happens. Over and over and over again. The second reason this book is so important is that God has chosen to reveal himself as the Word and by the Word. John 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning was the song, or not in the beginning was the drama. God identifies his Son, who himself is God, identifies himself as the Word. This is tremendously important. In the beginning was the Word. The Son of God is the Word of God. He is God's communication to the world. He is God's Word. But not only has God chosen to reveal Himself as the Word, but He has chosen to reveal Himself by the Word. Look at our text here, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. This means that God determined, ordained to speak to us. He intended to communicate to us. 
And so he has revealed himself to us, and he has interpreted himself to us. He has interpreted his deeds in history for us by breathing out, by inspiring written words. That's what scripture means. Writings, written words. All the scripture, it says. Not just some of it. All of it is God-breathed. Or as First Peter, Second Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The scriptures, Old and New Testament, are God's revelation of himself to us. So the first two answers to why this book is so important is that God has revealed himself as the word and by the word, and so salvation comes through means of this word. Because we know that salvation comes from God. It fits then that our response, our response to God, our response of work and worship will also be by means of the word. If worship is meant to be a spiritual communion with God, and our work in the world is a reverent, loving response to God, then at the heart of our worship and our work must be the revelation of God himself. But we can say more. Worship is a response to God's work. And the word of God is the means by which he works in the world. This is the way it was in the beginning when God created his word. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke, and it was. The word of God created the world. Get your mind around that one if you can. And this is the way it has been ever since. As God performs great acts by his word. For example, we know that Jesus simply spoke and the sea was calmed. Jesus simply spoke and fevers were cooled. Jesus simply spoke and the dead were raised. God working by means of his word. But we also know that God goes on working by his word. Consider our text here again, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, is good for, is useful for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate Adequately equipped, competent, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the way God brings about the good works of his people is by his word. This is why Jesus said that men will see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God works by his word to do his works through his people in the world. 
So God's word is important to us, not just because it makes us wise for salvation, not just because it reveals who God is. God's word is important to us because it enables and equips and empowers our work and worship. You can see this time and time again in the Bible. In Psalm 1, says, The man who meditates on the word of God day and night will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That is the power of the word of God. The word of God brings fruit. The word of God makes a person prosper in the will of God. Or consider Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. It's hard for us to divide that, isn't it? We don't know where one stops and the other starts. But the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We'll recall John 17, verse 17, where Jesus says, he prays to his father and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The great work of sanctification, of being made holy, God does by the word of God. And we could go on and on and on. The point is this. Worship and work is about knowing and admiring and enjoying God through his word. Just like we heard last Sunday. And these this word, these works of God, are seen in His word and performed by His word. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will not go out empty, void. It will return and it will accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. God's word is powerful, it is effective, it is authoritative, it is important. That's why this book is so important. It's why we make such a big deal about it at this church. The church throughout history has put the word of God at the most prominent place in corporate worship and private worship because worship is all about seeing, enjoying, communicating with God. This is how God has chosen to communicate with us. God reveals himself as the word and by the word and God does his works in the world by the word. He gives new life by his word. He awakens faith by his word. Without the word of God, there would be no life, no faith, no work, no revelation, no worship. The word of God is to worship as air is to breathing. Necessary, vital, important. So what are we to do with this book? It is so important. It is so necessary. It is that which God has chosen to use to reveal himself, to save us, to empower us, to equip us. How do we do this? What do we do with it? Especially in light of the desperate situation that we see in our world, the evil, the false teaching. In light of the judgment, the impending judgment of God upon evil and wickedness. How should we use this book? The answer comes to us in both verse 16 and in verse 2 of chapter 4. Preach the word. 
Proclaim it. Herald it. Tell it. This includes teaching, reproving or rebuking. It includes exhortation and encouragement, correcting and training in righteousness. This, brothers and sisters, is the most important thing that we can be about. This will be the only effective antidote for the false teaching, for the disobedience that is so prevalent in our world today. The Word of God must be the central content in our communication to ourselves, to each other, and to the world around us. This has never been more important than it is today. What will be the result, then, of the use of this word? We see in chapter 4, verse 3, that it will protect us from false teachers. You see, our human tendency is to gravitate to people, to read books, to listen to people who make us feel good. We want to feel good. And when somebody says something that agrees with us, that makes us feel good, we gravitate to them. We, as it says here, accumulate for ourselves teachers to suit our own pleasures, to suit our own passions, our own desires. The Bible says, the Bible says things that make us uncomfortable. The Bible says things that don't suit our passions and our desires. If we are faithful to the Scripture, if we discipline ourselves to seek it first and foremost, we ought to be confronted by it, not coddled by it. We ought to be uncomfortable. This will protect us from being led astray by false teachers. This will protect us from wandering off into myths. If we let the Word of God challenge us, speak to us, convict us. Secondly, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God will keep us sober-minded. As for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded. To be sober-minded is to think rightly. Or in the language of today, to be sober-minded is to have your head screwed on straight. That's what the Word of God does for us. It helps us think correctly about how things are, about who God is, about who we are, about what we need, about what we must do, how we must live. The Word of God, the preaching and teaching, the rebuke, the training, the correction of the Word of God helps us to be sober-minded. Thirdly, the preaching of the Word will enable us to endure suffering. By knowing the Word of God, we know that God is in control. We know that God's purposes will ultimately prevail. Prevail over all evil and all suffering. We know that He can and will use us to accomplish His good purpose. And we know that even in our suffering, He will care for us. In life or in death. 
to be with him is to be the winner. The Apostle Paul says, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, we're the winner. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that through suffering and death come life. It's the way God works. God demonstrated it in the sacrifice of his own son, of himself. He came and he suffered. He bled and died and life springs out. New life. This is the only book that will convince you of that. This is the only book that will enable you to endure for that end. Fourthly, the preaching of this word, the teaching of this word, will equip us for work and service in the world. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The person who knows and lives out of this word will be effective because he will know and understand and live out of the reality that God has created and revealed. There is nothing more frustrating, at least for me, than to be given a task to do and not also given the knowledge, the tools, or the means to accomplish that task. But God has given us the knowledge. He has given us the tools. He has given us the means to accomplish the work that He has called us to do. His Word. Same thing that He uses to do His work, He gives to us. Now, there are many things that I could say by way of application this morning. As individuals, we ought to be investing more, more time, more effort in reading and meditating and studying this book. At the family level, we must be more convinced of the value and importance of this book for the next generation. We must see the importance of using it in our families for training, for correcting, for making wise unto salvation. Our children must be acquainted with and come to trust this book as the reliable and trustworthy revelation of God himself. Here, as a community of faith at Calvary Mennonite Fellowship, we have been and continue to be committed to the Word of God as the central rallying point around which our worship, our work, our fellowship will all be centered. That's what we've committed ourselves to from the very beginning. It's because of the, important, the importance of this book that your pastors work hard at expositional preaching Sunday after Sunday. It's because of the usefulness of this book, of the entire book, of all Scripture, that we seek to provide a balanced and thorough diet from all parts of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. Notice the scriptures that Timothy was acquainted with that made him wise into salvation, guess what? That was the Old Testament. I think it's still good for that today. 
It's because of the hope of this book that we seek to infuse our services, our prayers, our songs with the language of Scripture. That we devote ourselves, as it says in 1 Timothy 4, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. It is because of the plain commands of this book and the God that it reveals that we practice some culturally strange things. Things such as communion, feet washing, head coverings, not using this world's methods and forces in our resistance of evil. It is because of the authority and power of this book that we send out missionaries both here at home and abroad, to spread the good news that God has promised will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. It is because of the promises of this book that we work diligently at educating children and adults here in our church so that we can all be more effective for the work that God has called us to do. And it is because of the truthfulness of this book that we seek to train and educate a generation of men and women who understand how to rightly understand and apply this book, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now as you look at yourself, and as you look around at the rest of this congregation, if you see any goodness, if you see any greatness, if you see any success in godly living or godly work or worship, then please remember this. This goodness, this greatness, this success has only happened because of the word of God. It has only happened by the power of God through his word and for his glory. But on the contrary, if you look at yourself or you look around and you see sin, and you see failure, or maybe you see pride or selfishness, or maybe you see laziness and apathy. If you see any of those things, remember that the reason these things exist is because we have not yet understood, we have not yet valued, we have not yet been transformed as we should be by this word. We have not yet followed the instructions of this word as God intended for it to be followed. Our world today is full of many voices. Many voices competing for our attention. Many voices promising to give us what we long for. Promising to provide the solution to our problems. Most of these voices proclaim themselves as the expert. We proclaim God as the expert. Of the making of many books, there seems to be no end. But this book is different from the rest. This book completely fulfills its promises. This book provides everything that we need to be competent men and women of God. It is this book, the Word of God, that we must read and preach and live by if we are going to survive in this dark and sinful and deceived world. So let us be people of the book. People of the book, not just any book, the most important book, the most important book written by the most important person, 
revealing the most important message and equipping us and resulting in the most important activity and work that we could ever be engaged in. Let us pray. Father, through the prophet Isaiah's words, which we have read already this morning, we are reminded that your word does not return void, but that it accomplishes that which you desire. We read in the Psalms that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. Your word is divinely inspired. It is breathed out by you for our teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for our training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we are grateful for this guidance. We are grateful for this equipping, for this power that we receive daily through faithfully reading and applying this book to our lives. Amen.